Hello and welcome to the 24th episode of PinCount, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. We're not journalists, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Ian Wallace and I'm here with my co-host Douglas Shearer. Hi Ian. What's on the menu tonight then? So we've got a little bit of follow-up, some news of various types, uh, a quick topic related to an article that I read a few weeks ago, and then we're going to talk through one of our topic ideas from the previous show. Okay, so yeah, the, the follow-up, I put this in the, the show notes here. This is, so way back when we talked about displays and predicted that Apple would go OLED with their displays at some point in the future, and lo and behold, they released OLED iPhone 10, sort of high-quality uh, tests are out from DisplayMate as per usual and um, well what sums it all up is basically a close to textbook perfect calibration and performance I mean they smashed it basically yeah yes the reviews even just people's subjective opinions on the display seem to be that it's a really high quality um, OLED display with none of the sort of colour shift that lots of other displays see I think there's some off angle colour shift but you don't look at your phone from the side anyway usually yeah, so I mean, we discussed this before that theoretically OLED is great for colour. You can get really great colour on it. It just happens to be for most mobile displays, that's not the primary concern, so they don't bother. Uh, they're shooting for contrast and power efficiency. Uh, but yeah, they've really gone for the colour accuracy and it seems like they've got it. Um, and kind of related OLED news, I got my hands on a, one of the 13-inch Alienwares with an OLED screen the other day. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, the colour accuracy isn't great and that. It's very strong on the reds, but it's a spectacular display to use just for a kind of user comfort point of view if you spend a lot of time staring at terminals having really nice contrast and really dark blacks is actually really quite nice on the eyes nice and, um, yeah just you know got bright light shining in your face the whole time really yeah 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 it makes a difference yeah, i certainly i've been struggling my eye strain maybe the last few months um, and something like that might make a difference giant dell OLED screen for you then right yeah i don't think anyone makes one yet that, did they not do a 32 inch i thought they did I think it's 32 inch, but it's sort of like standard size pixels, so you're missing out on doing the sort of retina type thing, the 2x pixels. Yeah, 4K at 30 inches, so that's about 150%. That's not that bad. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah. Um, it's not uh, budget friendly. <laughs> Depends on your budget, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, you've put a load of AI based stuff in here, which is normally my, my domain. Yeah, this is the, the news has just been. Or sort of the tech news has been full of just new AI development. All the things. news. Did you not listen to uh, the UK budget today? Seventy-one million pounds of funding for AI. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. Hashtag hype I mean, train. Um, this, I mean, you have the thing where like every company is now an AI company. Well, now, if you want to sort of, oh, you can't say that. It makes me not feel special anymore. <laughs> if if you want funding, you've got to tell people it's AI. You know, like, um, yeah. or it helps to t- tell people that what you're working on is some sort of AI. So AI is just everywhere, especially in the sort of tech press. So these were a few things that um, we saw, I saw people talking about or writing about. Mm-hmm. The first one was um, Google released TensorFlow Lite, which, from a quick scan of their page, is a cross-platform lightweight version of TensorFlow designed for mostly inference on sort of end-user devices or at the edge. Ah, okay. So it's like okay. So not to be confused with TensorFlow Slim, which is a slimmed down uh, API and way of programming TensorFlow to make it much more like uh, Cafe or Caris or something. So this this is more light on the deployment side. Very confusing sort of uh, names, but this is yeah. This is to produce lightweight models. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what that what that is is another example of the drive to AI everywhere, and that's driving it down to low power uh, mobile devices in particular. You also put in an archive link here, which. Um, 
I read the paper earlier. I say read. I read it very quickly while you're doing the show notes. Um, <laughs> this is Apple publishing something. I guess that's why you you put it there. Yeah, that's why this was making the news today. Apple published a, um, it's a new method for detecting objects in a 3D scene. Um, so specifically, yeah. they're detecting it from 3D data, from LiDAR point clouds specifically. And this is... Um, do you know why this is exciting? It's, it's quite hard to do, basically. It's quite hard to do very well. Uh, okay. You've got sparse data. Very sparse data, but large data volumes. If you So if you convert all your points into voxels, think like you overlay a... 3D cube grid on the, all your data and then you fill it in with points. A lot of them are empty so you've got a lot of big data structures that are very sparse in data. They they do some interesting encoding stuff on it. It's interesting their their approach. They use kind of what's popular in object detectors where you have what are called RPNs, region proposal networks where part of the neural network is learning hey these might be interesting areas of the image to focus on the other part is another part is learning how you detect the things but if you think about it a bit where is interesting to look at and how you detect the things depends on very similar sort of visual features. So you get some good benefits by training these systems all together, like hence end to end. That's how you describe this. It's pixels to, well, in this case, 3D point clouds to detections. They have some really nice stuff that they're doing in terms of uh, what's kind of like, you can think of a level, different levels of representation, reducing the, the data and so on. Yeah, I don't know how much detail did you read this paper on? Did you see what they're actually testing it on? Um, yeah, I saw, I saw that there was like a hardware section, and it was actually not dissimilar. Like it seems like old hardware, but it's not dissimilar to lots of papers. I guess they, they just well, said, I, I think they've been shopping in the Dell Outlet Titan X on a one point seven gig CPU. <laughs> um, but the so the benchmarks were interesting as well. They benchmark it against Kitty, which is the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. Uh, they have this basically for autonomous driving. It's a LiDAR plus stereo imagery plus other other data from an instrumented car. So this is self-driving car stuff. That's yeah. They're doing pedestrian and bicycle detection. Having said that, this is also exactly how you would try and do uh, use neural nets to detect things of interest in point cloud data like, oh, I don't know, a face ID sensor. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're probably not using it for faces, but they, you know, I can see a lot of cross-domain applications here. So more interesting things coming from Face ID, perhaps. Yeah, so I mean, certainly the press were getting excited about the the self-driving car aspect because there's a sort of hype around a sort of Apple car that might never exist, but it certainly seems that there could be other applications, certainly with the way the Face ID sensor is. Yeah, um, you put in the new AWS instances in here too. Yeah, so this is the new AWS EC2 P3 instances. These are basically a mostly up-to-date GPU instance. Mostly up-to-date, yeah. the most up-to-date, V100s. Um, you can't buy a faster GPU, really. And you've got uh, their, yeah, their pre-built AMIs for machine learning. I'm just wondering, are they actually shipping recent versions of MXNet anymore? Because there was a problem that they're, even though they're kind of sponsors of MXNet, they were, for a long time their AMIs with MXNet didn't have the most recent versions, which was always a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the AMIs, they now sort of update quite regularly. Like, if you go to launch any instance, they give you like a... Not a most popular, but sort of recommended instances. There's like their own Red Hat based AMI, and there's like Ubuntu and stuff. But they're updated like every few months, so you're not you're not getting the same AMI for months and months and months. And I think they're doing the same with the deep learning AMIs as well, where they're regularly updated. So you might get a new version of the MXNet framework. We'd need to have a look at that. I just checked. Yeah, it's the well, it's the release candidate, not the actual release version. So they're still not up to date of their own framework and their own AMI. So yeah, get with the programming, wasn't? 
lack of communication across teams there. Um, so sticking the Amazon theme, some more interesting EC2 instances for, for some level of interesting. <laughs> so Apple, Apple, Amazon last November said they were going to bring out new compute-intensive C5 instances using um, the latest... Is it, oh, Xeon Scalable. Yeah, the new Xeon Scalable chips. Even before the, the, the Xeons were announced, um, they announced them... Or they, they made them publicly available a few weeks ago. Um, they're quite a hefty machine. I actually have a bunch of these in production doing video encoding. Um, and they more than live up to their sort of 25% faster than a C... Uh, sorry, 25% pr- price performance over a C4 instance. Um, I'm seeing like more than that on the workloads I run. Um, but the interesting thing here is that like a lot of Amazon's machines, it's a custom CPU. In this case, it's a Xeon Platinum 8124M. There's nothing even close to that model number in the arc I was looking at earlier. Yeah, it's a really weird model number. It's almost like it should be like there's a couple of the model numbers that begin with six that then have like a one after them. Um, but it claims to be, according to the proc CPU info on Linux, um, to be 18 cores running at 3 gigahertz. So it's a pretty hefty chip. You say a um, better price to performance ratio, that just could mean they've done funky things with the pricing rather than the performance. The pricing is actually more expensive per unit of time the, and the performance is higher. Okay, um, that's impressive. I, I've done, f- I did, before I put these in production, I did fairly extensive benchmarks on the workloads I have um, and it was definitely faster. Um, and you've got EC2 ENA here, is that what I'd guess Elastic Network Alliance? Yeah, it's the, the enhanced network adapter, oh, okay. I think it is. We talked about this uh, AWS reInvent last November, December, whenever we did the show about it, and this is basically Amazon's own network adapter using FPGAs. And then you've got the article in here about, um, this is, this is I presume I've not clicked the link, actually, this is Intel combining with AMD, is that? Yeah, so this is, yeah, Intel announced that um, hell was freezing over. No, I mean um, that they were going to partner with AMD's uh, GPU side, which Radiant is called Technologies Radeon Technologies, Coast. yeah, um, to put Radeon GPUs in the same package as an Intel CPU, and this is obviously ideal for sort of thin and light laptops, that sort of thing. Big hint of Apple here, right? Huge hint of Apple. This is exactly the sort of thing Apple would want. Now, like, they talk about in some of the things a customer asked for it, and yeah, I think we can all guess that that customer is Apple. Um, the interesting thing for me here was way back in episode 18 uh, in June we talked about an interview with uh, Intel's Mark Bohr and he talked about heterogeneous um, chip design where they could take two different um, sort of chips or dies and place them in the same package and we initially thought this was going to be used for putting FPGAs in a package with a CPU oh, yeah or... but that's what they're doing here they're, yeah it's one package with two dies and they've got an interconnect between them yeah so yeah that's what they're using that for it seems to be the, but, the first consumer so thing what I find for. interesting about this news as well so Intel are partnering with Radeon Technology Group to put an AMD GPU in the Intel thing they've also then nicked AMD's top GPU architect because Intel have announced their intentions to go into high end GPUs yeah, it was an interesting couple of days of news because the three things happened like one day after the other. Like, Intel announced they were partnering with AMD. Um, one of AMD's top GPU architects, or maybe the top guy, left AMD. And then the next day it was announced he was jo- joining yeah, Intel to work on discrete GPUs for Intel. So, yeah, it's inter- interesting stuff coming soon. I'd, I'd welcome a bit more competition in high end um, compute accelerator space. I think most people would. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think almost everyone would. I mean, NVIDIA are doing amazing things, but it's not great when one person runs away with the market. 
Yeah, so also in the kind of a interesting news, big Optane or bigger Optane drives are now available. This is very exciting. Yes, I think we maybe talked about Optane very briefly. Um, Optane is um, Intel's sort of next generation SSDs use 3D X point memory. They released some consumer versions that were designed as caches for hard disk drives earlier in the year. The Cross point were... memory, not X point. That's how it's pronounced. It's, t- it's 10 points. 10 point, yeah. 10 point yeah. memory. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Um, so there is some small consumer drives. The performance wasn't amazing. These are larger drives designed for use in the data center. Um, and Antec have got a pair of reviews, one for the 280 gig version, and then which is a sort of prosumer sort of workstation style card and then a sort of more enterprise server oriented card as well, which is 750 gig. And, and hot damn these graphs, right? They've got, yeah, they've got a 900 gig version. And the performance of these things is amazing for certain workloads. So they're as, as fast as everything else across all benchmarks. But for workloads, um, like I might use these for, say, a database where you've got a high write load. Um, you can have a high write load in a database where the queue size is small on the SSD um, without affecting the reads at all. Like, it just keeps pumping out the reads, just, like, completely flatline on the graph, no matter what the writes are like. It is incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean, for basically, for anyone that doesn't understand what Doug was waffling on about, you can keep pulling data off this thing while you keep poking at the data at the same time. That's, uh, basically what these are i mean they're, they're yeah astonishing things really yeah and at the, the moment the, the price on them is quite hefty the 375 gig enterprise cards like 1500 dollars um that'll come down though and until i've also said they're going to have the first dims based on the 3d cross point memory coming like uh, end of next year so we discussed this last time that we'd pick a topic and come up with like a, a near-term prediction a longer-term prediction discuss it a bit, maybe come up with some evidence for and against our wild predictions. And one of them, which, because we've had it rattling around the show notes for ages, is loosely um, faster networking, right? Because CPUs are getting faster, GPUs are getting faster, mobile devices are getting faster. But where's where's the networking piece? I know this is something that's quite interesting for you. So you've been looking into this. So do you want to kick off with maybe what either what's currently interesting or what your kind of near-term predictions are for exciting stuff in the networking space? Yeah, do you want to do you want to talk about the Netflix thing to start with? Oh, do you want to what, do that what, what is the Netflix thing? You tell me. Okay, so a few weeks ago, Netflix's tech blog published an article um, where they talked about a project they've been working on over multiple years, and they had a target. They wanted to serve 100 gigabits per second um, of traffic from a single server. Um, Netflix have a, a CDN, a content delivery network, called uh, Open Connect. And the idea is that they partner with ISPs, so like BT in the UK, um, to put servers with Netflix, popular Netflix content in data centers that are owned by BT so they're as close to consumers as possible and they can offload lots of the traffic into it, onto okay. these devices. Yeah. It's, it makes sense when you're the size of the network and you push as much traffic as you want, as, as you do. Um, the ISPs are usually quite happy to have these devices in their network because it means... They're not... Saves their um, backhaul, right? Yeah, it saves their backhaul. The, the boundaries of their network are under sort of far lower contention because the traffic's dealt with within their own network without it leaving. So, yeah, so they started this project a couple of years ago um, and they've done a couple of iterations of it. Pre-NVMe SSDs, they were limited by disk speed. So even with lots of SATA SSDs, 
they couldn't get anywhere near the disk speed they needed to reach even 10 gigabits per second. So that was the first thing they... First limit they hit. Yeah, that was, that was the first limit they hit. They tried serving content from memory only and found there um, it was lock contention was the issue. That was the limit there. So that gave them an idea of the baseline of what they could serve if they didn't have to go to disk. Mm. So on Xeon V2 hardware, they got 10 gigabits per second. They got to 90 with Xeon V3 hardware. What was the big jump there? What what improved? I think it was bandwidth between the CPUs or within the CPU. Okay. Memory bandwidth. Because that seems to be the limiting factor even now. Mm. Like um, Memory bandwidth is always the, the limiting factor in these things. Um, I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. So then they got to 90. They thought, well, we're pretty close to 100. Well, actually, what we'd like to do is serve 100 gigabits per second of TSA, TLS. Um, so that's encrypted traffic. That's like you go HTTPS mm. on a website. So this is on Zoom V4 is where you get more hardware support for encryption and stuff, right? So that's probably where that's coming from. Yeah, so that's where that's coming from. It makes it sort of viable. Um, and they have actually managed to get 90 gigabits per second um, on the Zoom V4 hardware. Um but memory bandwidth is still the main limiter. Even with the storage and the network adapter both doing direct memory access, um, it's still the memory bandwidth that's the issue. Um, so they've been looking at a couple of options. One of their engineers uh, answered some questions on in a Hacker News comments. Um, they're looking at either doing the encryption closer to the disk or closer, cl- closer to the network interface card, so you can get to 100 from 90. Um, and I had a little look around and you get I think with a Chelsea crypto offload network interface card and it's basically a network interface card with an ASIC on it that does the encryption for you um, but they are still memory bandwidth limited as again their direct memory access Okay, so yeah, it's interesting, I just did the sums on how many Netflix 4K streams is 100 gigabits, it's 4000 yeah, it's, it's quite a lot it's quite mad they have a lot of traffic yeah. yeah, these these boxes they tend to only put, they tend to put one in a data center or like a few together, uh, and to feed the ninety gigabits per second, they have either forty four SATA SSDs or four NVMe SSDs. Yeah, that, if anything tells you how much better SSDs got, that that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. tenfold so that, order of magnitude. Yeah, so imagine they've got like a one new pizza. They've actually got the specs on the website. They've got like a one new pizza box with four NVMe SSDs in it that are like twelve gig each or something. That's mm-hmm. it. So that I mean that that's basically that shows what the state of the art from a single box is for a network connection. It's doing a hundred gigabits per second of encrypted traffic, and that'll be in a hundred gigabit Ethernet adapter or four twenty fives or something like that. Bunch of InfiniBand, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think in the I think in um, most sort of telecoms environment, they don't tend to have things like InfiniBand because what they're going to connect it to. Yeah, I guess. So I guess one question is why bother density. Yeah, it's just purely about getting density and sort of um, power ef- power efficiency and space efficiency. Lots of the um, telecom providers, um, data centers and network locations are quite sort of old and creaky and do not have much space and much power mm-hmm. like lying around to just take in someone else's box. So, that, I mean, the more efficient you make it, the more likely they are to take it. Plus the fewer devices you're having to support out in the field. Yeah, okay. Um, so, given that's what's going on now... What, what's what's the near term future for fast network? I mean, that's data center stuff. What's what's going on now, consumer? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think consumers like the sort of, I think consumers kind of 
going to be at where it's at just now for quite a long while. Um, Mesh Wi-Fi is where it's at in consumer, right? That's the, that's yeah. the new hotness there, right? Yeah, that's, that's the new hotness. Um, so multiple and, Wi-Fi channels, multiple Wi-Fi routers where they communicate on one channel between themselves to mesh together and then they communicate to your devices on a different frequency so you still get nice high bandwidth Wi-Fi through all your property. That's basically the, the deal there, right? Yeah. And I think it's probably as fast as it's going to be for a while. Because for most people, they don't do much sort of network traffic within their own network, like between devices. Um, I think like um, NAS and other sort of storage boxes aren't that common for sort of normal people, you might say. Um, then limiting factors almost always the connection to the outside world. Um, and there's not much point in having faster Wi-Fi even for multiple devices okay. if it's slower than the outside world. So I know the, I know the way this topic thing is supposed to work is... Um, you pick a topic, I quiz you on it, then you make the predictions. But I'm just going to throw a wild card prediction in here for yeah, cons- consumer networking future, which is uh, just don't bother with Wi-Fi at home. Just go straight to the LTE, right? Yeah. Because I have a fast home connection, reasonably, um, for the UK, maybe not for more developed companies. I've got 70 down, 20 up. I've, t- I've been on LTE networks faster than that. Yeah, so I've got a really similar fibre connection at home and at my desk on 4G I can get faster 4G up and down. Yeah, so like yeah. it's getting cheap enough, certainly in the UK and a lot of Europe. Why bother with home broadband? I mean, if everything gets LTE then... Yeah, which then gives the networks interesting congestion problems. But that, that's my my wildcard uh, two-year-out sort of prediction. More and more people just not bothering with broadband at home. Yeah, but I mean, with a lot of like likes of the 4G network, once it goes to a cell tower, it then goes back into the, the normal network that most of the data is on anyway. So it's just that last mile that's different. Yeah, it's just wireless and, yeah. yeah, wireless instead of being like a fibre up the street to your house. Um, okay, so give yeah. us your near-term prediction then. Three to six months, what's exciting in you? For consumer? Well, for whatever. What are we talking about in six months so of the podcast? Split yeah, we're saying you're right. three things. Consumer, enterprise, and professional. Okay. For consumer, it's nothing. Like, I don't nothing think there's anything exciting. Nah, I think 5G, the sort of marketing term, the sort of technologies that are part of that are still like a good way away. I don't think we'll see much of that until like 2019. It's interesting thing prob- about consumer networking. It's still not standard for people to be on 5 gigahertz AC devices, right? It's no, I don't think so. No. Okay, so not- nothing. Your prediction is nothing exciting. <laughs> nothing, <happens>. yeah. <laughs> And All then right. I, next, I'll skip professional and come back to that. Um, the next thing would be enterprise. And I think just enterprise, it's more sort of ubiquitous, 25, 40, 60, 100 gigabit Ethernet. Mm. Stuff that's a bit exotic just now is... Yeah, it's a little bit exotic just now, but it's just going to become the standard thing in the data center. And yeah, maybe the next year, two years, something like that. Um, certainly all the big players are already updating it and talking about what their plans are and... You know, it seems to be the way that's going. Um, InfiniBand will still remain a thing for science use. Um, I would say the science use, I don't think there's, it's that useful. It's, it, not it's quite, quite f- weird compared to normal Ethernet. It's, for, it's serving a different purpose, right? It's where yeah, you're trying it's, to get good interconnects between CPUs, really. Yeah, it's, it's all about, yeah, it's, it's high bandwidth, it's very low latency, and it's not very flexible, would be sort of be my view of it. Um, mm. I've never I've never used it, but from looking into it, that's what I've sort of gathered. Like, Ethernet is super flexible, and I don't mean how bendy the cables are. I mean, but that, that too. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, it will be, actually. I mean, I just mean the topologies you can set up. Um, and then to come back to sort of professional use, we've talked a little bit with this in the podcast before, but I think sort of networks for professional use, and I mean, like, like um, offices with workstations in them and that sort of thing, it's kind of stagnated. 
like 10 gigabit ethernet is still not really a standard thing even on new motherboards like some workstation motherboards have it but not all yeah the problem i mean is my, i am buying expensive workstations at work right i mean like we, we got a new cheap one it cost five grand right <laughs> and it doesn't have 10 gig on it and then the switches are few and far between if you want if you're a small office and you want like a a switch with a small number of ports it's actually really hard to get them yeah, well, it's not really hard. There's very few to choose. Well, you get you, yeah. I looked into this the other day. It's like noisy eight ports with fans in, which is not ideal for an office, costing you know hundreds of pounds. It's, yeah, but so, so is your prediction for a professional nothing as well for six months? I think it's nothing for six months as well. I'm, I'm going to contradict you. I'm going to say uh, what's generically referred to as n giggy. So there's a, mm-hmm. there are more kind of pro prosumer and workstation ports coming out with three and five giggy cards and things like this um because it works over t- existing copper networks uh pretty oh, much okay. without requiring cat six and things like this there's a few companies making controllers um yeah 5g based t is a standard um because it's using and you get two and a half gig as well um i'm can't find a good article off the top of my head, but yeah, there's a few things that they are standards, right? The standards for two and a half gig and five gig is Ethernet working, and then that just it's a lot easier in terms of PCI Express interfaces, which is likely to be the problem on ten giggy. Yeah. In terms of, so yeah, I mean that's that's becoming more of a thing. Um, so I that's I've never heard of that before, but it does that is a really interesting parallel in the enterprise space. Like everyone thought the jump was going to be from ten gigabit to 100 gigabit but actually lots of people have explored the space like 25 40 50 60 that sort of thing for the same reason you just say that works with a lot of the existing um infrastructure they have so it's a cheap upgrade before they get to the big jump of 100 yeah so i'm you can down something out for the show notes but i i've not looked into a lot of detail i've just seen it appearing on a few motherboards and i kind of think given the reduced PCI Express line requirements to have this so it becomes more practical on laptops and things then working over it's basically existing existing Cat 5e or Cat 6 cables and then they reduce basically the length it's certified over okay uh, and then they say yeah you can you know go faster over shorter distances so yeah so I, I think that maybe for professional use in six months time whatever maybe something so okay longer term six months two years what's your crazy far out predictions what are we talking about so I think consumer, like it's just like what you said earlier, is like it's just going to Wi-Fi in a home's probably going to kind of disappear. You're just going to have a, everything will be on a cellular network. Hmm. That that makes sense. That's just so much easier. Yeah, enterprise. Um, enterprise. Not even touching the CPU or the disks. Is it just it's just all network adapters talking to network adapters? Well, we've already seen that. We've talked. We talked about that Microsoft network adapter a few weeks ago. What is it? It's an FPGA that's on it, and it, it's just. Yeah, well, you talked it, about crypto offload nicks earlier, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you've already got applications where sort of data comes in on the network interface card. The network interface card deals with all of it and sends the results back out again without even touching the memory or the CPU inside the box. Like, but that, that's exotic at the moment, right? So, is is this now more normal? In- I think it will slowly become more normal. In the year since Amazon announced their sort of own network adapter um, that we talked about earlier, the ENA, um, almost everybody has these things now and you can buy them. You can buy really similar things already. Um, so, so give think, me a wild prediction, something we're going to be talking about in a year or two time that's interesting and happening in the networking space, in the enterpriser. Um, I'd like to see something like NVIDIA's NVLink become sort of cross-cabinet. 
Ooh, okay. So yeah. high end interconnects. Ridiculous yeah. high end interconnects. Addressing memory in different caps. That's interesting. Yeah, we've already seen a little bit of that with Google with our um what's their TensorFlow processing thing in the data center? TPU. The TPU. Yeah, we've already okay. seen a little bit of that. I think that'll become more common as people try to sort of consolidate certain types of compute. Okay, I'm gonna drop my wild prediction and not knowing really anything about any of it. But something like uh AWS Lambda, but for on the network interface. So you some some interface to Amazon where they let you define functions that run on the network interface itself, and they handle all the it's all managed below that. You don't have to get into your crazy own specific programming the FPGA yourself. They just provide some way of letting you write some logic that will run on the network interface before it hits your server. So you're talking about like a layer of abstraction that makes yeah. sort of write, like yeah, literally using la- it easier. Lambda for but, the NIC. So. Amazon kind of do a thing like this already. They okay. do the AWS Snowball's Edge. Snowball's like the box they send mm. to your office with all the hard drives in it. And Snowball's Edge actually lets you run Lambda functions on the data that you're putting into the okay, Snowball. But yeah, but that's just it run, it the run data. On, it's not running yeah, exactly. real time on the NIC. I'm talking about something like that, but for on the NIC itself, so you can stop yeah. stuff even hitting your CPU. Well, uh, AWS reinvents next week, so maybe we'll see. Yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm saying two years for that one, though. <laughs> Um, okay so i think uh we'll pick another topic for last time uh, if anyone liked that as an idea then tell us what you think is going on about network i think we picked the geekiest topic first yeah maybe apart from ports <laughs> yeah but, uh, we'll do ports next time okay so thanks for listening to pin count show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com and you can find me on twitter at at douglas f shearer and you can find ian on twitter at the underscore accidental you can follow the show at Pincount Podcast. We love to get feedback. Tweet us or use the hashtag AskPincount or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For longer feedback or if you just can't explain how wrong we got something without reference to the API documentation and CAD drawings, email wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. Okay, what's all this random Douglas Webseal stuff? <laughs> yeah, I've just, noticed that. I've just noticed it. Like, I obviously put it in there to use on the Douglas Webscale like episode a few back and I think it's pinboard making fun of people that have ridiculous setups so um what is it delicious right now is special cross 25 machines support traffic over about 80 hits a second that is bananas so there's a there's a whole backstory to this so pinboard is a bookmarking service and for Pinboard's entire existence, the guy who runs it, Matty something, something, I can't remember his name, um, I'll put it in the show notes, has kind of been making fun of Delicious, they were on Yahoo for a while for sort of screwing up a lot and making bad sort of decisions for their users. And then the opportunity came around for him to buy Delicious. So he bought Delicious and then actually got to look at what their infrastructure was. Now one of his things was running a service on the sort of... Um, enough but as small a number of servers is necessary to run it he just made things efficient and when he bought delicious he got a chance to see exactly what they did which is yeah 25 machines and they got a traffic load of 80 hits per second which is bonkers like yeah like 80 hits per second is like serve that off my phone yeah it's like it's like a hundredth of one core of one cpu for something like you know php and nginx even you know it's that may be a little exaggerated, but it's not very much traffic at all.